Do you remember that feeling when you first met someone before they were categorized as anything significant in your life? Remember how you didn't know them well enough yet to worry about what they thought of you and so you were just completely unapologetically yourself? And then you could feel that person drawing closer to you, even as you were just going about your regular life. And it was easy to connect because you were letting them see all of you because you didn't yet care. Do you then remember how you got used to that attention and even liked the attention because you started to like them? And in that realization, how your muscles tensed, your jaw gripped, and your words slowed because you now understood you had something to lose. Am I the only one who's ever felt that way? You know how you would censor yourself, and not even on purpose, just on pure survivor's instinct, except you weren't surviving, you were suffering because you were trying so hard to control the outcome of a situation that is uncontrollable. I'm probably the only one who's ever felt that way. But tell me you remember that time you thought... Fuck it. And you said the thing you were worried would sound stupid, and you laughed so hard even though you knew you might snort, and you sang out loud even though you know you can't sing on key. And then your jaw relaxed, and your words flowed, and the moment glided over you with ease because you released your grip, and you surrendered to the mystery of whatever was to be. I'm probably not the only person who's ever felt that way. Welcome back to I Am This Age, a podcast proving it's never too late, you're never too old, so go do that thing already. I'm your host, Molly Sider. Today's guest is Louise Dybel. Louise is a former history professor turned environmental lawyer. She went to law school at 40 as a single mom. She lost both her parents the first year she was in school, and she still graduated and built a successful career for herself. (sighs) Listen, I love that I get to talk to so many different people who are willing to tell me their stories. This isn't easy, and it takes a lot of energy from all parties. My job is to put people at ease so they can best get their stories across, but every so often I have a guest who puts me at ease. And that's how I felt talking to Louise. One more thing before we get into the interview. If you're loving these conversations, please send the podcast to one person you think might also love them. I'm also curious what you all might be learning about yourselves through these episodes. So if you leave a comment in Apple reviews, I'll mention it on the show. Okay, I'm done. Let's get into the interview. Please enjoy Louise Dybal. My name is Louise Dipel, and I am an attorney. I live in Richmond, California. Um, I am 49 years old, and um, I have a daughter. She is uh, just graduated from college, um, and I am in my seventh year as an attorney. So uh, I went through a big career change, and I think that's what we're going to talk about today, right? Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Welcome to the pod, Louise. Thank you. So you have, I want to just talk a little bit about your history. Um, mm-hmm. So you went to undergrad at, at um, University of California, Berkeley. You majored in history. You have your PhD. You've completed two postdocs. It's <laughs> a lot of stuff. <laughs> Congratulations on all of Thank that. You. <laughs> Thank you. 
So you then became a professor in um, Northern Michigan in the Upper Peninsula. Mm -hmm. And you taught um, urban history, right? Yeah, I uh, and that that is a big subject for me. It goes back to the very beginning of my education, but I my specialization was urban history and political economy, and um, I mean, I was I've always just been really fascinated by cities and um, urban development and how the Im- physical environment, the built environment, if you will, shapes people's lives and how our society and and laws to shape the built environment. So that's kind of, that's been a big interest for me for a long time. That's so interesting. Um, So you, here you are in the Upper Peninsula in Michigan, um, teaching about urban history in a pretty rural place. Mm -hmm, Definitely. Um, you, You mentioned to me earlier that you weren't making a lot of money that at your peak you were making about 80 grand, but you were spending about 30,000 of your own money on research, which I feel like we could talk for an hour about just that. Um, Mm -hmm. but we have a lot to cover, but I do, I just did just want to like mention that because that is fucked up. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean that, that brings up a big topic that I I was actually hoping to talk about is, Mm. um, how, our education system right now. Um, I, you know, I went into academia as a career and um, history was a passion for me. And I I believe, I believe strongly in the importance of history and humanities and arts, you know, as part of a a vital part of a well-rounded education and as a foundation of our society. And my experience wasn't with, with that was not, I was lucky. I was very lucky to have a tenure track position with a, a solid salary and um, certain amount of security, but it still felt very tenuous. And I think that that's really a reflection of our societies right now is not investing appropriately in education. And you know, I was just experiencing one little piece of that. I was assistant professor in the humanities. Um, and uh, like I said, I was lucky to have that position, um, including the salary. There's so many more people who had devote, who have devoted their uh, careers and made investments in academic careers that uh end up in much worse situations without the security, without the steady salary as adjuncts, as, you know, um, uh, piecing together work. And um, I, that was a big consider, my financial future and my security. And, you know, you, I, I I was a, a mom with a daughter in junior high at that point. And, um, it just didn't feel like it makes sense to stay in that position with that kind of the, the kind of financial situation where I'm using my own money to invest in research that I needed to do to um, advance in my career. And um, one of the things that I, I think is uh, an unfortunate trend uh, or a trend that's maybe gone too far or 
you know, maybe not, but uh, there's been an emphasis on STEM fields, science, technology, engineering, and math mm. uh, for the last 20, 30 years, something like that. And that's very important, you know, and a lot of the emphasis has been on making sure that uh, everyone has access to that kind of information, education, you know, minorities, uh, women, people from disadvantaged backgrounds should have the opportunities to go into STEM fields. But that should not come at the expense of the humanities and the arts and history and ethnic studies and all the other things that go along with a broad education. And, you know, I, I hate to get on a little bit of a soapbox. I'm obviously on a little bit of a soapbox here, but, Please. you know, mm-hmm. I when I made that career change, it was for a lot of different reasons. And, um, you know, I went into law and it was for you know, it was, a lot of it was that I was very interested in the law and, and, you know, there was push and pull factors, you could say, but definitely one of the push factor was, you know, not seeing a very a promising future in, in uh, academia, you know, comparatively and not seeing that kind of financial and economic security that I kind of hoped to set up for myself. Um, so I, I'd love to, and I think, Teachers need to be paid more across the board. I don't think many people argue with me uh, on that. <laughs> you know, from some the people will, but not me. You know, from preschool, I mean, maybe especially preschool on up, um, because that's that's what keeps us. You know, that's what builds a great side. That's the foundation of our democracy. That's you know, that's everything. And and you know, um, it's been. Um, you know, there's tremendous amount of structural inequality built into our education system. Uh, you know, it's <laughs> it's an overwhelming problem, but it's something we have to look at very seriously, I think. Uh, again, here I am on my soapbox, um, but I really, you know, I feel like I lived the reality. And there's a lot of people who are talented and ambitious and have a lot to offer, creative, interested, engaged who who aren't being supported, um, you know, and end up going in other directions besides teaching. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, I am fine with you, um, uh, <laughs> on your soapbox about this for a little while, because I completely agree with you. And I mean, I brought it up for a reason, even though it's not really the topic of yeah, this yeah. podcast, but it's so important. And I agree. I, I never understand, um, people who argue this, like, I don't even have kids and like, you can, teachers can have all of my money, all of it. Well, at at academia, I mean, there's uh, also other things that are, there's definitely kind of a a resurgence of, of, uh, there's kind of an anti-intellectual, um, uh, uh, moment that we're going through right now. And, you know, that's something that comes up in American history uh, at various different times as kind of anti-elitism and it's, and it manifests in different ways. And right now, um, you know, there's this tremendous uh, controversy surrounding uh, what is taught, especially surrounding history and, um, you know, American history uh, with respect to race relations. Um, it's, uh, this is a, an important moment in it for our society. And I, I hope we can pull through this and, um, come out with a stronger sense of, uh, a stronger commitment as a whole to, uh, history and 
humanities. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, this represents a turning point, but it's a rough period in our history. Um, and I, I have a daughter, she just graduated from college and she's, I, I just see her generation and the young people these days as so passionate and so engaged um, so motivated. I, I'm really hopeful that okay. we're going to see some positives. <laughs> positive Good. Change. That was, that was just yeah. going to be my question. Do you see any hope? <laughs> but, um, yeah, that's good. I, I see a lot of hope in the young generation too. I think they're going to mm-hmm. save us. I hope they're going to save us. I'm sorry that they have oh. to save us. But. <laughs> yeah, my daughter will make make it very clear. She is not happy being in the position of having oh. to save us. <laughs> it's unfair. It's really she unfair. That, but, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I, I do think there's just tremendous engagement and um, this could... Yeah. Well, I mean, I know we're not here to talk about (laughs) macro trends and politics, um, but of course it is something that, you know, as someone who was a history teacher Mm -hmm. and had committed to that direct in my career, it's, you know, it has never uh, diminished in its its importance to me as I understand, you know, to my values but I chose I chose to take a different path and to make a break and to invest in a new career. Um, you know that was a big change, and the fact that we're talking about this and uh, you know how important I think history and humanities are to our education kind of gets at the core of why changing careers like that, how and why it can be so difficult. You know, mm-hmm. I think that. For me, there was definitely uh, some loss and grief around um, the decision to leave academia. You know, even if there was a lot of things about it that weren't working out very well for me. And and like I said, there was pull factors. I was excited about the law and learning the law. It was like very much kind of an extension of the work and education I had already um, sort of sought for myself, you know, I was just moving on to a new stage in some ways in my mind. And I think that was true in retrospect too, you know, I'm just building upon, I've been building upon my education with law, but you know, whenever you make a big change in your life, you, you, you know, especially when you get to the middle ages, you know, the middle, middle age period of your life, you know, and I was, I was 40 when I decided to go to law school and quit my job as a professor. Um, you're closing doors, you know, <laughs> you're yeah. choosing a path and you, there's no, you know, there's, you're narrowing your options. And that's true if you don't do anything too. <laughs> and that's kind of one of the things I want to talk about is, you know, uh, not doing anything or being overly cautious or seeing an opportunity and waiting can also kind of result in, in, um, narrow paths going forward. But, um, but yeah. it's always going to be, you know, there's always going to be, uh, pluses and minuses and, um, the balance that you have to strike in your life and in your decisions, making big changes. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about like when you were deciding to go to law school, um, first of all, I'm, I'm so curious because you have obviously a lot of um, educational background. You have um, a bunch of impressive degrees. Um, does school feel like a little bit of a, like a safe haven for you, do you think? Oh, yes. I mean, yeah, I'm not going <laughs> to. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, I... Uh, See, I grew up in um, 
northeastern Washington state in a, in a very rural place. It's kind of ironic, you know, when I ended up back in northern Michigan, it, it was a familiar place to me. So I grew up in this rural place and I uh, got a basketball scholarship to go to Berkeley. And that oh, wow. was a um, huge uh, sort of moment, opportunity. I mean, I can't overstate how excited and exotic it seemed to me to be going to the big city like that. And um, I, uh, I, it, it, I, in some ways it kind of shaped my, um, my long-term trajectory because going from that small town to Berkeley, California, to this huge university with 40,000 undergraduates. And fl- I remember flying into the Oakland airport and seeing the city laid out beneath me, including the bridges, you know, which tend- ended up being my sort of research topic in graduate school is bridges, Ugh, um, bridges there. just really kind of shaped um, my worldview and uh, set me on a trajectory of curiosity. And I, I wanted to understand. I loved Berkeley. I loved the learning. It was, it was wonderful. And I stayed there. You know, I don't know if you mentioned this, but I, I finished my undergraduate degree and then I just went straight into grad school and into the PhD program and always felt like I didn't know enough, you know, like I needed more education. Okay. I'm starting to learn. I'm starting to figure out what's happening. I'm starting to build up some knowledge, but not even close, you know? So I, I kind of still feel that way. I (laughs) relate so hard to that. I can't even begin to tell you. I have to catch myself and like tell myself, all right, you know enough for now start applying what you know to <laughs> your life, to your career. Yeah. And it just, it never feels like enough. Anyway, please. Well, I, I think one of the things I learned, so I, there I was undergraduate, graduate school, straight into academia, teaching. Then I decide as a career move to go back to school. You know, I never left for so, I mean, I spent the first, from the age of 17, when I arrived in Berkeley to the age of 40, three when I graduated from, or 42 when I graduated from law school, I never really stepped outside of the educational system. And, you know, like you said, I just kind of never felt like I quite knew enough. But then, but now I realize I finally stepped out. I got a regular job. The learning doesn't stop. You know, that's the one thing I love about. (laughs) You can, I don't have to be in school in that protected environment. Uh, to keep on learning. Yeah. So thank goodness for that. I <laughs> love know, it was that. really a revelation. It was scary for me to um, step out of that comfortable sphere of academia where I had been successful and I had felt protected and supported. Um, it, it, but then to realize I can still have the things that I was so passionate about. I can still learn new things. I can still research and explore and search out information. What kind of advice were you getting about this decision to go to law school? Oh, I got so much advice, you know, (laughs) and I think, um, well, for one thing, I thought about going to law school when I was an undergraduate and I was strongly discouraged um, by the most of the people I talk, well, all the people that I talked to, which happened to mostly be my history professors, you know, thinking about going to law school. Why? They, well... 
I, I mean, this is a funny thing. I don't know if you heard of it, but not everyone loves lawyers. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> I've never heard of this idea before. Lawyers are so lovely. We're a diverse bunch. Yeah. That, I'll say that. <laughs> um, it, well, I think that the assumption was that I, I wanted to do that for 100% pragmatic reasons, you know, like I, I, I wanted, which is, a, I think, a valid valid way to make decisions. Sometimes you want practical, you know, security, a practical career, something you can, you know, build a solid foundation on. Um, and I think some of my professors were thinking like, no, no, you don't need to do that. You, you know, you don't need to be that practical. Like take some risks, you know? And so I said, fine, fine. You know, okay, great. I'm going to go in the direction of my PhD in history and write a book and, you know, do this creative stuff. And then at some point I, I just felt like I needed to, I needed more, that old urge to learn and grow came back and I wanted to be more engaged with contemporary um, issues and, you know, kind of current um, problems. And I was finding that my being in Northern Michigan in a history professor position was not giving me the chances that I wanted to engage with kind of what was happening now in the world. Um, and I'd all, like I mentioned before, I studied political economy, um, you know, and including law and policy and the very, a lot of focus on the structure of government. So law for me just seemed like a natural direction for my continued pursuit of understanding and, and knowledge and, People gave me the same kind of advice as I had gotten when I was an undergraduate thinking about this. It's like, why would you want to do that? You know, I got a lot of lawyers telling me that lawyers are miserable <laughs> and that, you know, it's a very, it's a difficult career. And, um, and, and they're, you know, they weren't wrong. They're step, but the thing is with law there's so many different ways to practice it. There's so many different experiences and pathways and opportunities. And I think in the end, that was how I looked, that I came to look at it. That I wasn't, I wasn't quote unquote, becoming a lawyer. I was getting a law degree. I was learning about law and I was putting a new tool in my toolbox. Yeah. And I'll tell you right now, and I think this is important um, point that I want to make is that I did not expect to go in the direction that I ended up going in with my legal career. And I um, am very happy with how things have gone. And I'm, I, you know, my job right now is wonderful, challenging. Con I'm constantly learning and I'm, I'm just very happy with how things turned out, but it was definitely not how I planned things, you know? And I think that if folks are thinking about a new career direction, that is just something I really want to say. Um, you don't, we, we don't know what's going to happen in the future. And whether we stay where we are or whether we try something new, you don't know. And you can't, there's a real limit to the amount that we can steer our uh, career trajectories. So I think that, you know, the decision I made to quit my tenure track job and go to law school it was a huge risk. It was a huge investment, and it it didn't it did not go how I wanted it to go. That was okay, 
you know, and it could be that, I mean, I think that the, where I ended up in the job that I have now is, is a wonderful outcome for me, you know, but I had to let go. I had to be flexible. I had to go easy on myself, you know, um, and I think that's just, that's so important in life. And it's been so important to me in um, kind of, uh, you know, going through, I'll fr- fr- frankly, some rocky times in this transition um, at just being open and um, uh, trying to maintain that resiliency um, to keep going and, and not being always constantly in control or steering the ship, um, so to speak. Yeah, that's hard. But that idea of just being open to life. What did your daughter think when you were deciding to become a lawyer? Oh, yeah. Well, she was, let's see, I think she was about, I think she was 12. No, she was 13. She was 12 when I went to law school. And um, right, really quickly, what, yeah. is your, what is your daughter's name? Oh, her name is Laura. Laura. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Please go on. Yeah. She, I mean, um, she's always been incredibly uh, supportive. We have a, I, I feel like we have a wonderful kind of mutually supportive relationship. And, you know, being a single parent is, um, there's a lot of challenges that goes with, go with that. Um, and you have to be careful not to put too much burden on the kids because, you know, often single parents are facing, um, special challenges and, you know, like you opened up with this financial element of it and, you know, that is, uh, keeping together a household and paying the bills, you know, (laughs) that's something you can ignore and put aside, you know, that's a constant. So she's always been, flexible, supportive. And, um, I, I, I try, you know, I hope that I'm the one that's ultimately supporting her, but we have very mutualistic relationships. So when she was 12 or 13, I just, I talked to her about this decision and going back to law school and she, she was on board. Um, it, it helped that we were going to back to California. You know, I, I went to Berkeley as an undergraduate and got my PhD at Berkeley and, and, and then went to law school at Berkeley, and it's a lot of Berkeley on my resume. But um, Berkeley is great. I live yeah, there. Berkeley is great, <laughs> and they have a wonderful environmental law program. And but I think the clincher was for me was I knew exactly where we were going to live. They had student housing in a great public school district um, where I knew I would move in, and my daughter could literally just walk to school in the morning, and she'd be. Um, in a, you know, relatively small school where, well, where she did really well and she had a lot of resources. Um, and this goes back to what we're talking about earlier about education system in this country. As a, as a single parent, I have always made the decision on where to live based on the school district because unfortunately school districts are very, very, very varied and uneven, you know, I wish it wasn't that case, but my decision to go to law school was as much as anything so that my daughter, we could live in student housing and my daughter could go to um, the junior high and high school that she, that she, she went to. Um, and I, you know, law school is very challenging. I proceeded to, you know, study and, you know, hit it hard to do the best that I could. 
And she, I wish I could have given her more attention than I did, but she turned out pretty good. <laughs> I don't know. She'll probably listen to this and, and have lots to say. <laughs> um, but, you know, we made it through together. We were, we were partners and I, I just really appreciate, um, you know, that, that kind of support. And, and I think this brings it back to this. I, another thing, thing I wanted to talk about is, windows of opportunity for ch- big changes in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, frankly, if my, I, the fact that my daughter was 12, 13 and could walk to school on her own and had a little bit of independence was an important consideration for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when, you know, if your listeners out there are thinking about making a big life change, you know, that might not be something they consider, but there's so many factors that, that play into uh, as you get older, there's just your life is complicated. And there's a lot of things to consider, not just career, but personal, you know, your parents, your kids, um, other kinds of obligations, financial considerations, like, you know, do you need to save up a little this and that. And um, I think it can be difficult to know when the time is right. Um, when enough of those factors come together so that you have a good solid foundation to um, make a change versus when you need to wait a little longer or, you know, when the balance isn't, isn't quite right. Uh, It's a, it's a tough call, but um, you know, you got to keep an eye out for those windows when those things pull together because they open and they close. And sometimes you just got to, jump off the diving board into the deep end and, you know, take that risk, hope that it all it, it, it's, it's enough. And um, it can be really scary. Uh, and I want to recognize that. So I don't want to give people, I, I feel like my big career change turned out great. I'm so glad it's one of the best things I ever did. But I want to acknowledge that it's this tough decision and the timing element is big. And family can be a huge consideration too. You know, my my parents um, were another thing that came up. I didn't know this was going to happen, but both my parents passed away while I was in law school. Um, so, you know, it was, uh, you know, here I was, junior high daughter, doing my best to support her and spend time with her, but also trying to get decent grades in, in a competitive law school. And then I have to, um, you know, and then my parents come up as a, something I have to attend to and, and pay attention to. Um, and your mom and, was you living know. with you at the time, right? When she got sick? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, my dad passed away and uh, went up to the funeral in my first year. And then my second year, my, my mom got sick and uh, she was visiting me. She came down to Berkeley um, and uh, uh, she, uh, <laughs> she, couldn't leave because, and uh, this is, I'm having a hard time now, but, um, she, uh, she had diabetes and she, uh, almost lost her foot. (laughs) Yeah. It's such a, such a terrible disease. It can be so, um, horrible in the end stages. So she was, uh, living with me and, um, you know, healing from a surgery to save her, um, and ultimately, um, she passed away just um, about a year after that surgery to save her foot. And uh, it nice. was 
and you know, I kind of, I kind of met diabetes is one of these diseases that is, um, you know, it's connected with socioeconomic status and there, you know, it's kind of got a lot of, uh, uh, you know, baggage associated with it or associations that are, it's charged with meaning maybe, but I wanted to specifically name it because, um, I also, because it's something that affects, uh, does affect a lot of people who um, come from a lower socioeconomic background or, you know, a poverty background. Um, I did not come from a background of poverty. I came from a middle-class home, um, but I just, but I want to say that, you know, there's, um, uh, there is a lot that goes along with, um, uh, your family and your background. And I wanted to acknowledge that, you know, when I'm talking about my experience of changing careers, that I had resources and privilege, you know, as a white woman that I benefited from. And, but I want to say, you know, that doesn't, I, I don't think it changes the idea that we can all take advantage when those windows open and the opportunity comes up and we have a passion or we have a goal, we can, we can take those risks. We can make those investments. Um, and I, I'm hoping that, um, uh, you know, one of what, what, I guess one of the, the message I want to put out there is, uh, to encourage folks to, to make those investments, acknowledging that they're not necessarily easy and they, you know, things come up that are, can be unexpected. So with me, with my parents, um, uh, passing away during law school, uh, my daughter actually had to have uh, knee surgery twice mm -hmm. when I was in law school. I'll tell you, I didn't do as well in law school as I wanted to, you know? <laughs> I, I can't imagine why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'm, and maybe, you know, and also even if that stuff hadn't come up, maybe I wouldn't have done as well as I hope anyway, you know, mm. but, but, and so it was tempting, I guess there were moments that I wanted to really get down to myself and kind of, um, view myself as maybe a failure for not living up to this kind of the certain kind of expectations I had for myself. No, you know, no, <laughs> yeah. I didn't do exactly what I wanted to do. I didn't, I did fine though. And I have had tremendous opportunities. I, you gotta be, go easy on yourself. You know, if you're, if you're in your middle ages, you know, if you're, you're in your forties, you're in your late thirties, there's a lot going on in your life. It could be complicated. Support yourself, you know, um, give yourself credit where credit is due. If you, things don't go as well as you wanted them to, give yourself a break, keep going, pick up, continue with your investment. Um, this is something, you know, I'm saying out loud things that I've had to tell myself on multiple occasions, you know, I am fine. I am doing well. This is an investment and this is, you know, I need to give myself credit where credit is due and not necessarily, you know, not get, get down on myself for things that I'm disappointed in. So, yeah. Um, it's been a big, it's been a big journey. Yeah. And that's all so important to address. I'm so glad that you are talking about it. Um, it is really, really hard. And 
I know that this podcast is about like encouraging people to make the change. And I agree that one of the things, I mean, obviously we talk about how hard it is and the fears and the insecurities and how you navigate through that. But I'm glad that we're acknowledging that it's hard for different people for different reasons and different people have privileges that others don't. And this is a really important piece to it. There's just a few points I wanted to make about, you know, taking risk, investing yourself and having that personal resiliency once you do make the change. Yeah. And, and that's the message I kind of wanted. So I, I'm done with my message. Oh. I think I got it across. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. And this is what I was going to say too, is that I am always telling myself like when I'm feeling like I want to give up or I'm never going to make it, or this is stupid. What am I doing? You know, that I have to have these moments where I sort of step outside of myself and think like, no, 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 this is part of that struggle that everyone talks about and nobody or, you know, people don't necessarily detail, but this is the struggle that you have to go through to get to the thing that you want or to the place that you want to be. So keep going. You're fine. This is normal. Yeah. And, you know, the place that you want to be is allowed to change, you know, <laughs> yes. and it should. Yes. We, it, you, if you set yourself a specific goal when you start out, great fine. That's healthy. Go for that goal. If you realize you can't reach that goal, it does not mean you failed. It means you need a new goal, you know, and that you need to, you know, that you need to adapt. That's, that's what resiliency is about. Yeah. Um, and also yeah. figuring out like, well, what is it about that goal that, that you believed you would feel when reaching that goal? Cause right. Cause like goals mm-hmm. aren't like, yeah, we want the thing, we want the job and we want the, um, the, the, money and we want the fancy car in the house, but like really what we want is, is how those things are going to make us feel when we get them. So what is it that we really want to feel and then figure out how to get that now. And then if we don't get to the goal, it's okay. It doesn't matter because we yeah. want to feel the way. That's a great point. When I went to law school, it was a, I knew it'd be at least three years of law school. I didn't know there'd also be many years of just trying to learn how to be a lawyer, you know, there was this huge period of transition in t- where I was very challenged all the time. <laughs> but, um, you know, we started out talking about education and, and, and school and learning at the way to think about the, the process is that that is in itself one of the outcomes and being uncomfortable, being challenged um, having to manage multiple factors in your life, including things like family, as well as career stuff. That's all part of the benefit and the learning process. And the, I mean, hopefully you can think of that as part of the goal. You know, I'm making a huge career change. It's not about like starting at A and getting to B and everything in between is, is it doesn't count. Yeah. It's it's got to be that whole that whole process as it being integrated into your goal and integrated into your um, your thinking about uh, what you're getting from the change and the investment in yourself. Yeah, yeah. I was going to also just to go back to the money element of things. Um, debt. I wanted to just say something about debt. Please. I think it's really important to talk about um, yeah. finances when also talking about change. So yeah. Please, yeah. Um, I, I know that 
the prospect of going into debt deters a lot of people from taking chances. And I'm not just talking about educational changes. You know, if you want to start a business or um, kind of any kind of big enterprise or personal change, you need to make a move, what have you, it costs money, you know, and a lot of us don't have money. Uh, I just want to put out there, I went into debt to go to law school and, uh, that the way I look at that is that I was, that's part of my privilege. I was privileged. It was a resource that I had access to, Mm -hmm. to, to be able to take on that debt. And sure it's a burden over the long term, but, um, I could never have done what I did if I didn't have access to the student loans and, um, I'm, you know, I'm paying them off to this day, but you know what? I, I, that 100% part of my investment of time and money was, and part of my opportunity was taking on that debt. And I I think we need to think rationally about debt and its long-term consequences and how to manage it. Uh, But it shouldn't be a necessarily a negative. It can be a positive too. And, uh, so I just wanted to throw that out there. I know that a lot of people who are more sophisticated about business, maybe come from entrepreneurial families, for example, and have exposure to that way of thinking. Know what I said is true. Um, but someone who, you know, I can, I didn't have that kind of background. Yeah. And um, I, I definitely hear from a lot of people I grew up with or, you know, I can't afford college. I can't afford um the education. And unfortunately, you know, it shouldn't be as expensive as it is. That's another thing. Yeah. I I think we should have access to higher education for everyone, but uh, under those circumstances, if you get to take on some debt, that's part of your investment. So I just want to put that that out there too, as something that that can have be a factor. Were you, Mm -hmm. were you working at all while you were in law school? Uh, No, I just went uh, full-time um, okay. Boom. You know. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was expensive. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it worked. <laughs> I mean, so far so good. Right. I absolutely, I'm in much better uh, position than I, than I was before. Good. But I absolutely do not regret a penny of that. No. Yeah. Good. Um, and you were 40 when you started law school. What was like the average age of people in your class? Oh, I, I don't know what the average is. I think Berkeley's a little bit, uh, tends a little bit older than a lot of other law schools. Um, okay. Uh, they, uh, but uh, I was definitely the oldest in my class by probably six or seven years. Oh, wow. Uh, there was a there was person who I worked with who was in the class above me, who was just slightly older than me. So, so that was really helpful. I, you know, was not an, totally anomalous, but I mean, there, I was part of this group called older and wi- wiser law students, owls, <laughs> and we'd have lunch together and stuff. And it oh. was a great group, but I was definitely the kind of uh, senior member of that group. Um, what did that so, feel like? Well, uh, you know what? It was okay. It was good preparation for my career as a lawyer <laughs> because um, I made friends with, I mean, I, made, I I remember some of the people I like enjoyed talking to the most in my law school class were, you know, in their early 20s and closer in age to my daughter than me. So I had a few conversations about, you know, what kind, what I should get her, or how I should take her. And, uh, you know, 
get her the right kind of clothes for the fashion of the moment and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, just um, where the other law students would advocate for my daughter. That was fun. You have to remember, I was a university professor mm. for a reason. Um, I like uh, young people. I l- learn a lot from them. I really enjoy talking to them and being, uh, I think, I, I just enjoy that aspect of, of being part of this multi uh this community that has many different ages and perspectives. Um, And then going into law, you know, I went in a fairly traditional direction and got a job at a big firm and I was colleagues and I still am colleagues, people who are much younger than me. And um, I still feel the same way. Like I really value their perspective and their friendship. And I, I, I'm glad to maintain those kind of connections. Uh, Teaching was, um, well, it's a lot harder than it looks, but I always, um, and I think part of the things that was throw me off is I, when I'd have smaller classes, I just want to sit down and talk to my friends in a very non-hierarchical way. You know, my young friends, let's talk about this book. Um, that doesn't necessarily work all the time, but sometimes it worked really well, you know? (laughs) So, um, you got to kind of motivate and, um, engage, uh, both, but, um, uh, I think that that's that served me well in this context, and you know, it'd be part if, if people are thinking about changing careers, it could definitely p- be part of the the process, uh, and it connects with this um, this dynamic where you, you got to be humble, you got to be open, you got to uh, relax your perceptions, and um, really open to learning from everyone in all different directions. It's really helpful. Yeah. Stay curious. Yeah. Stay curious. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We've covered this a little bit, but I want to talk about change and how there's a lot of sadness and like mourning that comes from it. You were, Mm -hmm. um, you were obviously working towards this new career and this new future to better take care of yourself and your daughter. And, you know, I, like it made this whole thing has made me think about how when we change and when we grow, there is so much like it's a lot of letting like what you said before, like we already covered a little bit of closing doors, um, letting go of the past um, and letting go of like who we were in the past. And I think that that can be really, really hard and there can be a lot of sadness and a lot of um, mourning. I don't think we talk about it enough um, and it's really scary. But also at this time, you were actually mourning, you know, your parents, the loss of your parents as well and everything that that means. And I know we covered it a little bit, but I just want to, I just feel like we don't talk about this enough in general. And you just had it, I can't even, I'm like overwhelmed just saying those things. Um, I can't imagine how really we're feeling. I want to know sort of how it affected you. And I want to know how it also changed, um, like how it affected your, your focus in school, how it affected taking care of your daughter, but also like how did it affect like who you are, how you parent, how you work? Yeah. Oh, that, those are, those are really good questions. Um, and you know, I'm thinking back on it. It's like, wow, did that really happen? Yeah, it did. It was, it was hard. <laughs> um, 
And I think I tried at first and maybe for a while, I really tried to just kind of put it aside, the grief and um, carry on, you know, which, which is what I did. I didn't take a break. I graduated in time. Yay. You know, (laughs) but, um, I, since then, you know, well, since then I have spent a lot of time, uh, trying to, uh, trying to, uh, build a healthy, trying to, how do I put this? I've spent a lot of time in therapy since then. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'll just put it that way. And also paying attention to spirituality. Like Mm. I came from a background, we didn't, we're not a religious family. And I was just kind of agnostic and not very concerned with spiritual matters when I was growing up. And since then I've paid, spent a lot of time reading about mental health, uh, about, uh, wellness and, um, uh, mindfulness is a big topic that came up. And I, I would, I just, another shout out for Berkeley law. I don't want to necessarily do boost it excessively, but when I was at Berkeley law, they had a mindfulness program. Um, does not surprise me. uh, Yeah. (laughs) Which was, I think was just wonderful. They, uh, they had meditation, they had, um, but one, my favorite professor, uh, Jonathan Simon, uh, would would take a, a minute at the beginning of each uh, class and have us all sit and be mindful. And he'd play a chime and to kind of set the tone and to get us present. And I was, you know, those were wonderful elements of law school. And then I subsequently, I've really uh, taken that and tried to take uh mental health and wellness and spirituality more seriously, you know, and build them into my life. And that has been out of necessity to some extent, because you can't just take a, a blow like losing your parents and losing a career. I mean, I'll just say it, you know, there was a loss there. I might go back, you know, but um, that was part of the grief. And you can't just put that aside and ignore it and move on. You know, you've got you to take the time for that to, to grapple with those things. And not everyone has the money or the time for therapy. And, you know, there's, but there's a lot of ways, community organizations and people, if you, I found that when I was willing to stop and pause and ask for help, there was help. You know, there were people who guided me and invested in me and helped me through the rough times with that. So, you know, I don't want to go into too, mi- too much detail, uh, but um, that's another thing I've just been profoundly grateful for, a, a, a learning, a lesson that I learned, a part of my education that I was not expecting at all. You know, mm. when I went to law school, did I think, oh, this is going to be a very spiritual experience for me and I'm going <laughs> to learn and grow all kinds of things. No, I was not thinking that, <laughs> but that that's what it ended up being. And um, it's incredibly uh, valuable, I think, you know, was it, is it easy for you to ask for help? Cause I think that it's really hard for a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not easy. Yeah. Uh, it's, um, but once I started to ask for help, uh, for example, I, um, 
uh, I joined the universal, uh, Unitarian church, universal, Unitarian Universalist church. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started going to, uh, um, services, uh, before I went to law school actually. And, uh, I met, a, a, a the minister there was just so amazing and so generous at time and spirit and such an interesting, like thoughtful person. She just had a huge impact on my life and on, on me. And, and, uh, I was just amazed at how, um, j- j- I was just amazed at how generous she was with her, uh, time and, and, and interest and attention. And I guess that one experience that I had where I was kind of, you know, I was on the verge of making this big life decision and I was suddenly embraced by this community and by this wonderful, you know, spiritual leader. It was like, oh, you know, I can ask for help. There are people who will help me. It was kind of like, once you do it and you have a good experience and you open yourself up, yeah. uh, then it becomes a lot easier. Or you yeah. realize it's like a hopeful thing. You know, you can, you can ask for help. You can reach out to people. You can make connections. Um, this is, this is not a bad thing to do. It is not just about vulnerability. It's, it, you know, it is vulnerable to ask for help, but sometimes you get it, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes so. you get it. And like anything else, you get easier and easier the more you do it. Yeah. Yeah. So. And people want to help. Like people want to be helpful. That's right. And it's not weak. It's like incredibly brave and strong to ask for help. Yeah. And, and then it's so... Um, well, just last year, I I volunteered for Berkeley. Berkeley, another great thing about Berkeley Law. Okay, here it goes again. You know, <laughs> <laughs> we love they Berkeley have, Law. <laughs> they have a first generation professionals program for folks who you know who parents weren't gen- professionals. Maybe they were you know working class or immigrants who uh, you know hadn't had the opportunity to get a lot of education. There's a lot of different folks in the first generation program. And I was in it, you know, my, my, my parents, neither one of them graduated from college. Um, and I volunteered recently to kind of talk, talk to and be there for a new a law student who, um, had a similar background. And I, that was so great. I mean, there's nothing feels better than hopefully, you know, hopefully I helped her. I gave her my best advice that I could come up with <laughs> how to, how to take a law school exam, which is, believe me, not intuitive. Yeah. <laughs> really and, yeah. And, um, you know, that was me on the other side, very fortunate to be able to pay it back, hopefully pay it back a little. And, um, so how gratifying that is, is, is just amazing. So, you know, if you're out there, you're struggling, you're going through some grief, maybe you're dealing with family issues, all kinds of things, ask for help. Don't hesitate, ask for help, reach out. People will help you. Yeah. Um, it's, it's part of what's great about being human. <laughs> you yes. Know? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so you're, um, an environmental lawyer so, mm-hmm. and what's your favorite thing about being a lawyer? Oh, well, I, just, I'm just going to double down on the theme. I learn something new every day and, that. uh, environmental law is a great field for me because, 
uh, it's very cross, it, it combines law mm-hmm. and policy and science, you know, and something, you know, we've talked about, I was an urban historian. It's kind of very interested in places. So a lot of my matters will involve a real place with where I get to kind of learn all about uh, maybe a site. I, I've, for example, I'd, I've done uh, diligence and help with uh, solar projects and wind projects, you know, and trying cool. to get them get them going and and solve problems that come up with their their siting and maybe it's transmission. So I get to learn all about, say, you know, Riverside County or um, uh, you know Texas and rural Texas. What's going on there? Or you know, I've done projects in Michigan. I, I, I've it's just been incredible, you know, to um, be in this field where. Uh, I, I learned, and then and then another thing is sometimes I'll deal with cleanup sites. I'll get to learn all about. Uh, right now, I've learned all about the history of PCBs and how they were, you know, used in the United States in electrical equipment, and have this, you know, have a legacy we have to clean up now. Um, I, I, it's 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 fascinating and. Um, uh, yeah, I, I feel incredibly lucky to be able to do that when I, as part of my job. Yeah, you just seem so like excited and happy. It's really fun to see to like watch you talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do really. I really enjoy my work, and uh, I'm uh, I'm still in the process of establishing new career. You know, I'm a, a associate. You know, I'm uh, I at a at a big firm, and um, I don't know what's going to happen in two or three years, you know, I'm kind of on this track where you, uh, you, you, you know, you st- you're laying the foundation of your career. I'm still sort of learning the basics and trying to build up my skills as an attorney and there's no guarantees for me. Um, but I think by now I have learned that if I'm open and, you know, get up every day, do my work and, you know, take good care of myself <laughs> in many ways, you know, it, it's, 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 it's a joy. It's, it's the process of, of learning and, and building towards the future is a joy. And I don't have to be, you know, I don't have to be uh, invested in one particular outcome to feel good about where things are going. Yeah. You no. Know? Um, yeah. What part of your journey would you have done differently if you had the chance? You know, I'll, I, I know there's going to be some parents out there could probably relate to this, but I, I always wish I had spent more time with my daughter, you know, and um, I, I think part of being a parent is, you know, you have to make tough decisions and you, you got to when you have a career, you're balancing uh, the parenting and the career inevitably. I hope I modeled a strong you know, self-aware um, and uh, the kind of person that my daughter can be. Um, I, I hope for her that she builds a, a, a an interesting, strong career that she's passionate passionate about, and 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 I hope that she ends up with financial independence. But you know, looking back, uh, there were there were years, uh, especially in law school, where. I wish I had uh, taken more time with her. So, 
Um, and then that was probably part of my like going in with this expectation. I, I, you know, I have to get top grades and I have to, you know, I want to be on a certain path. I, 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 you know, originally I wanted to go back into academia and just into, into a different field. That's not something that worked out. Uh, if I had kind of let go of my control and my outcome oriented, um, perspective a little bit earlier, I, I think I could have balanced that out a little bit more. Do you think that if you, if you had done all that differently, that you would be where you are today? Uh, I don't, I mean, there's just no telling. That's a, that's a tough question. Um, I, I feel like there's been a lot of moments, turning points where my career could have gone in very different directions. Uh, Some per somebody said to me very early on that, um, a law career is very path dependent. Mm. And I think that's true. Uh, once you set off in a certain direction, for me, um, you, you build up knowledge and skills in that area that um, that are really important to 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 your success. You can't just you know change directions. It, it's just like within law, you know, changing directions is as significant as making a career change in another um, in another context. And uh, so. Um, I, I think there's a lot of points at which I could have gone in different directions of my career and end up in very different places, but I'm, I'm, it's good. I have no complaints at all. I'm having a great time and very optimistic about um, uh, c- continuing forward with this very exciting and rewarding career that could go in a lot of directions from here as well. You are a delight to talk to. I am so <laughs> glad that we did this. I feel like I could talk to you for like another two hours, but I know that you have places to go and things to do. So I'm just so, thank you so much for doing this. This is like so wonderful. <laughs> well, I, I just really appreciate uh, the opportunity and I hope, you know, folks look me up, give me a, send me a note, you know, don't, afraid to ask for help. I'm happy to talk to anyone who's thinking about the, the law career direction. And uh, it's it's a pleasure and a privilege to be able to share, share some of my experiences. Thank you. Thank you to David Ben Perrot for sound engineering, Dan Davin for the music, David Harper for the artwork, I Am This Age is a podcast produced by Jellyfish Industries. I'm Molly Sider, your host. See you all next time.